I'd like for you to turn to the second chapter of the book of Luke, a familiar passage, so familiar you're tempted not even to turn and read along with me. I hope you will. To Luke chapter 2, beginning at verse 15. And it came about when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds began saying to one, to one another, Let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. And they came in haste, found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. And when they had seen this, they made known the statements which had been told them about this child. And all who heard it wondered. The word is literally, were amazed. If you have an NIV, it's translated that. They were astounded. They were they were in awe of the things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And Donahue writes in Los Angeles Times, wrote this, What is it with us Americans that we never, do what we are, that we never want to do what we are doing? When we read, we eat. When we eat, we watch television. When we drive, we listen to music. When we listen to music, we work around the house. When we want to be with friends, we go to a noisy restaurant. When we want to party, we spend the evening trying to converse. Consider how we review our work. At the job, we want to be home for solitude or taking care of the things we worry about while we're at work. Yet at home, our minds are preoccupied by our work. We seek, it, we seek relief at home by going to parks or ball games or movies. Yet once there, we take a seat by the exit, longing to get back home, and we leave early, get on the freeway where we're in control and bound for home. There we fiddle around and clean house and mop, Think of excuses how to get out of the house again. Where are we happy? Why can't we enjoy the moment? Is it we have become so saturated having seen and heard and done it all, if only vicariously through television or other mind-bending media, that we have lost our capacity for wonder? That anything and everything, even our hobbies, makes us anxious? What is it with us? We are blessed with the highest quality of life on earth. Yet any visiting alien would judge us the most anxious, restless, and dissatisfied people he has ever seen. I'm captivated by that statement. We have lost our capacity for wonder. We need to get it back, don't we? For it's so much a part of what it means to be human, and it's so easily lost in our time. Maybe it's because we're surrounded with all these wonderful machines in our home and in our business that we forget to remember the most miraculous things in our existence. The birth of a baby, 
and how our bodies work. And maybe we drive ourselves so much to meet rending schedules that we fail to notice the most fundamental, amazing things in life. How the sun warms your face. How it changes your disposition. And we are people of such routine and, and, and habit that we probably fail to hear and to see the most wonderful things in our environment, to see and hear the unfolding of a flower, of the song of a bird. We've lost the capacity to wonder. And a group of ophthalmologists were meeting for a convention in a hotel, and one of the guys came down for breakfast, and he, said, he asked his colleagues, hey guys, did you remember to thank God for the fluid in your eyeball today? I guess you remember to do that, didn't you? And Charles Fry wrote a prize-winning essay on the wonder of the hand. Have you looked at it and thought how many muscles and nerves and bones working simultaneously make it bend and flex, forming a cup, grasping a tool, making a fist? And we're not even aware of sending those commands to it holding and touching and caressing, and we're totally unconscious of it, and you extrapolate that from the hand to the arm to the rest of the body to the world around you, but we don't live in awe of that. And so Christmas is a reminder to pause and see the miraculous in our midst. For what is this whole business of a baby being born in a manger who is the Savior of the world. And what is this business of angels heard on high and shepherds on hillsides and wise men following a star except an invitation to think and to hear like a child again? For children do hear and see what we miss. And that's a part of what Jesus meant when he said, except a man be converted and become as a little child, he'll never see the kingdom of heaven. And that's what he meant when he said, let little children come to me, for such is the kingdom of God. He knew they still had the sense of wonder, as Sarah Teasdale puts it, little faces looking up, holding wonder like a cup. What has happened to us? Maybe it's because we have learned to edit too much. We learn to edit things that we don't want and screen them. Um, John Killinger tells that one time he, he thought he was losing his hearing, which as a matter of fact is happening with me. And uh, so Killinger's wife insisted that he go get his hearing tested and like me said no, you know. So, she said, well, I'm going to make a, an appointment for you to get your hearing tested. And when he went and got his hearing tested, he found to his great joy that he wasn't losing his hearing. He could hear just like a young person. He'd learned to turn out stuff, tune out stuff. You know? And he sound like somebody you know, ladies. He, he learned to scream. You know? he, he just heard what he wanted to hear. He turned off the rest. And he learned to edit and screen out those things that he thought important and hear the things he thought were important. It's a, a task that you and I have learned skillfully to do. 
In order to survive in a noisy, chaotic world, we've developed the fine art of editing and screening and we've just learned to turn off what we don't want to hear and turn on what we want to hear. And we fail, we lose the sense of wonder like a little child who sees it all and hears it all. And maybe it's because we've gotten too busy. And so Christmas says, now hold on there and wait a minute. Suppose you're missing some of those beautiful things in life. And suppose that if you paused for a moment and looked deeply into things, you'd see something you'd not seen before. And what if you decided you would listen with fresh hearing? Maybe you could learn some things about what is happening around you. And wouldn't it enrich your life if you were more sensitive to the world God created instead of rushing through it as if the only goal was to reach the finish line first? It was Sarah Owens who wrote the book, The Trees Clap Their Hands. And in this book she says, we're all put here on the earth like children to be spies. And we were supposed to, we're here to spy out what's the real stuff, you know. And so every child is put on earth as a spy to show us and tell us what's real and what's genuine, what's important. But she said something happened along the way. This is what she said. The spy slowly begins to forget his mission. He spends so much time and effort learning the language, adopting the habits and customs, internalizing the thought patterns flawlessly that somehow, gradually, imperceptibly, he, become, he becomes his cover. He forgets what he's about. He goes to school, grows up, he gets a job, go collect, goes to college, collects his pay, buys a house, waters his lawn. He settles down and settles in. He wakes up each morning with the shape of his mission, what brought him here in the first place, growing a little hazier, like a dream that slides quickly away. He frowns and makes an effort to remember, why am I here? But the phone rings, or the baby cries, and he's distracted for the rest of the day. And said, Owens, something happens so that there's no longer a connectedness between this and, and the Creator. And no longer do these important things point upward and say, you think this is wonderful, you wait till then. And we begin to use this term a lot, says Owens. We, we start using the term merely. Well, we say just, you know. I'm just a housewife or... This is just fire. This is, and he says, Christmas begins to help us to see there's more than just the merely and helps us put the word but on the end of the sentence. So it's like this. That's just a baby, but the Savior of the world. And that was just a noise those shepherds heard, but an announcement of the coming of the King. And that was just a manger, but the dwelling place of the Most High God. And the greatest tragedy of all is, is that we can look at our world at Christmas and things like this and, and lights and faces of children and not see anything at all. And, and somehow we need to become aware that God is in this with us. 
And so Graham Greene tells that one night he dreamed that he was in that manger, that stable. He was there with Mary and Joseph. and He was there with the shepherds and the animals. He's kind of over behind, kind of back in the corner. And, and everybody was going over and looking in the, in the crib. And they were saying, oh, you know, ooh, and ah, wow, and all that kind of stuff. And he said, I walked over and I looked into the crib and I saw nothing. And the tragedy is, is that this and this and this, and we see nothing. And so Vance Havana tells about the man riding across the country on the train, and he's looking out the window, and he's saying, oh, man, that's wonderful. Oh, wow, woo-wee, woo-hoo, look at that. He said everybody was kind of getting annoyed, and they Looked out, he didn't see anything except the normal scenery. And a guy said to him, he said, man, what are you so excited about? He said, that's just an ordinary, you know, farm. And a man said, last week I was blind. And a wonderful doctor gave him my sight. What may seem ordinary to you is wonderful to me. What Christmas does is to bring us to the reality that there's something wonderful here that we're failing to see. Now, how do we recapture this sense of wonder? Well, I think one thing we do is we begin a concentrated effort on recovering it. We begin to concentrate on it. So every time you hear one of those carols sung in that department store you're going to visit next week, listen, see if you can hear angels. I want you to look into the faces of your children of your employees, of that department store clerk, and see if you can see them for the first time. And I know of a father who wrapped up in, his, in a package and put it under the tree, this statement, son, I'm going to spend an hour every day with you in the next year. And that, fa- that, that son hugged his father around the neck and said, dad, that's the greatest present I've ever received. How many minutes do you spend, husband, talking intimately with your wife? There's 168 hours in a week. That's 10,080 minutes. How many minutes do you suppose on the average a man talks to his wife? I mean more than just pass the butter, you know, and the, this grunt. You know, there's a, there's a vocabulary that says, mm, you know, mm, okay. More than just pass the butter, mm, kind of thing. Would you say 60 minutes out of a, out of a 10,080? Uh, how about 17? And so Moss Hart, who writes for the New York Times, whoa, what a story. He said he grew up during the Depression and his father one night said to him on Christmas Eve, said, Moss, let's go down to 149th Street and let's look for some presents. He said, I knew my daddy didn't have any money. He said, I figured out later that he had 75 cents in his pocket. And we were going down to 149th Street where all those presents are lined up in those shopping carts. He said, as we walked down the street, he said, my dad would walk up to a shopping cart and look through it and he'd, I could see him feeling in his pocket to see if he had enough money. And he'd say, let's look for something better. There's something better than this. And he said, we went all the way down the street to the last shopping cart. Listen to this. 
And Ma's heart said it all of a sudden, it dawned on me. He couldn't buy me anything. And he said, I, I looked up into the face of my dad. He said, I could tell there was this despair, total despair. And he said, I wanted to say to him, Dad, you don't have to buy me anything. This is better than chemistry sets and typewriters. This is better than pistols and scabbards. But he said, I couldn't. He said, we weren't on that basis. So he said, we just stood there looking at the last cart, shivering in the cold, and finally said, without a word, my dad turned away and we started home. He said, I didn't reach out and take his, took, I didn't reach out to take his hand, and he didn't reach out to take mine, but he said, I wished a thousand times I could have took him, I would have had have taken him by the hand and said, Dad, I love you. And I wanted him to say that to me. But he never did. You want to capture the sense of wonder? Take that money you're going to spend on yourself and give it to somebody who needs it. You want to capture that sense of wonder? You discover that sense, that sin that's in your life that is eroding and robbing you of your power and confess that to God. For why did he come to be, except to be the savior of our world? It begins with a concentration on it. And it continues when we begin to look for him in the ordinary. Lucato reminds us that God comes to us in ordinary things. And so he came out on the desert where Moses was. Same old day, same old job, same old thing. He got up every morning, got his father-in-law sheep, headed to the backside of the desert. Same old day, same old thing, same old job. And he walked up to this same old bush, same kind of thing, Except today it's different. That bush, thorn bush, is a fire with God. And God said to Moses, what do you have in your hand? Same old stick. Every shepherd had one, just a shepherd's rod. And Moses said, just a stick. He said, throw it down. When he did, it became a serpent. And God said to Moses, pick it up. But he had to holler because Moses was about in the next county. You know, when he... They had to come back. He told Moses, pick it up by the tail. Now, you don't pick up a desert snake by the tail. I've never picked up one, but I know if I had to, I'd pick it up behind the head, behind the, behind the fangs. Pick it up by the tail. When he picked it up by the tail, that snake became the same old stick, and God said to Moses, I need you to know, son, that there is nothing in this world you cannot handle when you handle me. And so Lucado said that every morning before he gets up to take out on another speaking engagement, he finds pasted on the mirror of his, of his bathroom a little note from his wife. Remember, Max, you'll never meet anything today that Jesus can't handle. And so Jesus came to a boy born blind. And the discussion was... Why was he blind? Who sinned? And the discussion was, what day is it? Isn't this the Sabbath? Everybody's supposed to be in church. And the Lord spat on the ground, and Peter Lord said he was as spiritual when he was spitting on the ground as he was when he was calming the storm. And he mixed up that spittle with a little dust, rubbed it on the blind boy's eyes, and he could see. 
And Jesus said in that marvelous event, I need you to know, son, that in this dark world when you're blind, I give sight. Now, I'm not a world traveler by any stretch of the imagination. I have been out of Bryan County <laughs> in all four directions. A friend of mine was one time getting some coffee, a little greasy spoon down in South Texas, and this, this waitress came up to him, true story. He, he, he said, I thought I'd be funny. He said, I just kind of said to her, have you ever been out, any, you, you ever been away from this town? She thought a minute and said, which direction? I've been out of the county in four directions. A few years ago, I took a trip to the Holy Land. Everybody needs to go there before they die. Somebody asked me what was the most impressive thing about that trip, my trip to Bethlehem. Now, I'm a sentimentalist. You can already tell that. But I haven't gotten over that day. It was Sunday afternoon when we went out to Bethlehem. The little village, Bethlehem, Euphrata, the least among the cities of Judah. And behind this cathedral was a grotto, a little cave. Tradition has it, the place of the birth of Jesus. And you had to stoop down and go down a little tunnel, a little stairway down into the basement. And there on the floor is a star where Jesus was born. As a matter of fact, you had, to, you had to stoop down to get into the entrance of the place because during the Crusades, when the Turks came, they rode their horses into the sanctuary and desecrated it. And so to keep the Turks and their horses out, they filled in half of the door of that entrance. So that door, you could just, was, you know, just like halfway covered with brick. And so here you go, bending down to get in, and then you bend down and you almost crawl down into this grotto and there you celebrate with Christians from the world over the place where Jesus was born. And while theologians are debating, elitists are scheming, common folks are kneeling to find Him. It, be, it continues with a focus on the ordinary. And it continues by listening to the ordinary. Now watch this carefully. Has it occurred to you that these shepherds all of a sudden had something to say everybody wanted to hear? Now nobody listened to them before. Their occupation was, a, was looked upon with contempt, as a matter of fact. Even the rabbis hated them because their occupation required them to be out on the hillsides and they couldn't go to church. They couldn't go through the temple ritual. And so these men, ordinary men, despised men who had nothing anybody would want to hear. Nobody consulted them about the condition of the world. But all of a sudden, everybody's hearing them. I love it. I don't know about you, but I'm sick up to here with hearing all that these so-called elitists have to say. And I turn on television, and some man gets on there, and he tells me over and over and over again what's the matter with our world and what we should do about it. 
some Hollywood star gets on there and some athlete tell me over and over again why I should eat this cereal and brush my teeth with this toothpaste. I'm kind of getting tired listening to all that. And then all of a sudden there steps out of a scene like this a shepherd who has on his back everything he owns. Smells like sheep. And he steps forward and says, I've seen the Savior of the world. And that's all anybody needs to hear. And a group of students from Princeton University one night decided they'd go caroling. And they went outside the home of, Al, of uh, Albert Einstein. Almost started, said Alfred, but I believe it's Albert Einstein. And they were standing outside his door and they were singing carols. And all of a sudden, this old man came outside and began to accompany those carols on a violin. And while these boys from Princeton sang these simple carols, the greatest mind in the world accompanied them without saying a word on a violin. Listen to the ordinary things. Little boy says, Jesus loves me, this I know. You better listen. And a mother singing to her children and a choir singing, ring those bells. Oh, that's all you need to hear. Back in July, Todd and I went out to Tulia, Texas. He accompanied me out there just to check out and see if I really did preach out there, I think. I went out there to preach the 100th anniversary of the First Baptist Church at Tulia. It'll bless you when a little boy comes up to you and knows that they're celebrating the 100th anniversary and asks you if you started the church. Now that, 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 that bless you. On the way back, on the way back, we, we were flying out of Lubbock, Texas, and we got the early flight, six o'clock. And, and when we got on, a woman and her husband got on with two children. They were obviously not her children. They were, the man and his wife were Anglo, the children were Hispanic. One was about 12 or 13, the other looked to be about eight. And this woman was just all worked up about this trip. And she was telling those kids everything. I mean, it's on and on and on. Even how to you know, turn that little latch so the thing will fall down. You know. and, and as we taxed it out, she was giving them play by play of everything. Those are tires. That's a wing. That's a flap. This is, you know, and this is oxygen. Well, listen here. You know, nobody listens to the exteriors, do they? And she was saying, listen to that. Listen to that. She just worked up over it. And, 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 and it was, they weren't that excited about it, to be honest with you, but she was going through the whole thing. And, oh, wow, woo, you know, I'm hit a little air pocket, whoa, you know, like we're on a, and it was just back and forth. And she turned around and told us, said, you know, they've never been on an airplane. Oh, well, that was obvious. You know. <laughs> when we got out at Lubbock, when we got out in Dallas from our flight from Lubbock, Todd said, did you see the, what that little girl had on? I said, no. He said she had on a deal that said, Make-A-Wish Foundation. 
Now, you know what that is, don't you? Those people who are involved in a Make-A-Wish Foundation, wonderful thing. I think Gay's involved in that. Usually have children who are terminally ill. And they take them on their last wish. And she said as they got off, they'll meet us here and they'll, have, they'll take us to a room and they'll give you your medicine. She said that to a little girl. And then she said to, in a pronouncement, we're going to Disney World. Wahoo. Let me tell you what she was doing. She was telling those children, that, that girl, it was a brother and this girl. The girl was terminally ill. Honey, be sure and see everything there is to see because this might be your last chance. What Christmas does is this. It says, honey, be sure you hear everything there is to hear and see everything there is to see on your way because this might be your last chance. Let's pray. Our Father, Those of us who have lost the sense of wonder have deep regret. We're saddened by the loss. We're in a stage of grief. Bring back the wonder to our hearts. The springtime, the freshness of the new life we found in Christ and for those of us who have never tasted of the Lord, we want that most wonderful taste, that most wonderful gift of all. And so we stand in need today of Christmas. Come, oh come, Emmanuel. Come to our heart. There is, if you look this way, there are three invitations. There's an invitation for you to come today and receive life's most wonderful gift, the gift of eternal life. It's so awesome, it's beyond description. Paul even said, this is an unspeakable gift. Perhaps you have lost a sense of wonder. You've gotten cold, indifferent, complacent, lifeless. Perhaps you need to come place your life in this church if God leads you to do so. While we stand to sing, we invite you to come.